Hello, and welcome to another episode of Future of Tax, the KPMG podcast series for tax leaders. In today's episode, I'm joined by Min Dow, partner, Deal Advisory Tax, KPMG Australia, and we reflect on how tax is becoming a key component of ESG. Min, to start our conversation, could I ask you to explain exactly what ESG is and how you see it impacting tax? I think there is growing acceptance globally in that the decisions made today has a significant impact on future generations. Both the public and private sectors are looking at long-term issues in their investment plans, including looking at the impact on our society and the environment, as well as generating returns. They are also concerned about public perception and how that investment will be viewed by the investors or the public at large. And you see this particularly so in sectors such as infrastructure, which is a long life asset and currently a significant contributor to carbon emissions through its life cycle from the construction, use and decommissioning stages of that asset. So when we talk about ESG investing, it is essentially the consideration of the long-term impact to the environment, society and the governance of that investment over its useful life. How it impacts tax policy is a really interesting issue. Tax is not only a lever to generate revenue for governments, it is also generally accepted as a suitable instrument to steer behaviour and to reach economic and social goals. Over the last decade, the OECD BETS project, as an example, together with the increase of high-profile international tax cases that has evaluated the discussions around tax and responsible tax behaviours. I mean, no organisation wants to be on the front page of a newspaper suggesting that they are tax avoiders, particularly large institutional investors such as sovereign wealth funds and pension funds. So right now there's a lot of discussion around BEPS Pillar 2, which seeks to agree a minimum level of tax paid globally and what that means for large global institutional investors. And that could have significant impact to uh, investors such as sovereign wealth funds who are tax exempt in their home jurisdiction. Now, in addition to that, we've also got civil society who has been very active in voicing their views on what they consider as responsible tax behaviour and what it means to pay your fair share of tax. In a recent conversation I had with one such organisation, I asked them, what does paying your fair share of tax mean to you? And the response from them was, well, it's more than just about complying with the law. It is about whether or not you are implementing the law in a way that's fair. Now, of course, the difficulty here is how do you measure fairness? And from whose perspective are you looking at what is fair? And Min, do you think COVID-19 could cast a new perspective on the fundamental significance of ESG activities and tax? Yes, we are already seeing that ESG desired behaviours and tax are two significant issues in considering the post-COVID recovery. Many governments around the world have spent a significant amount of money supporting their economies during the shutdown, including Australia. Now, as governments look to raise more revenue in the recovery phase to repay their debt, additional tax collection is going to be very relevant in that equation. However, on the positive note, we are increasingly seeing governments and taxpayers engage in meaningful discussions on how tax policy can drive investments in green infrastructure projects that could create jobs 
and boost productivity in addition to meeting the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And with that increased productivity will come employment, will come activities and will increase the tax collections of these governments. And I just want to be clear that when we talk about increased taxes in this context with increased productivity, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're increasing the tax rates to increase taxes. It just means that because there's more activities being generated, people are making more money and paying taxes and therefore increase in the government's collection of taxes. Min, in your recent article entitled How Tax and Diversity Are Becoming Key Components of ESG, you mentioned that environmental, societal and governance agendas have shot to the fore in the last couple of years. Why do you think that is? Well, as mentioned in the article, prior to COVID, the environment was already a dominant theme in this year's World Economic Forum in Davos. However, during the pandemic, countries have experienced the unintended benefits of cleaner air and clearer water due to less human activities. So, for example, during the lockdown, people have travelled less as flights have been grounded, trains have been um, parked, and manufacturing and tourism have stopped. So with less human activities, we have seen what a cleaner environment looks like and the benefits to, to our society as to what that environment looks like. Now, there is a growing momentum amongst investors and asset managers and insurers to encourage a shift towards sustainable investment practices. Now, the issue of diversity and inclusion is, is an interesting one too. From a social and governance perspective, we have seen an increase in pension funds and sovereign wealth funds um, include diversity on boards as one of their sustainable investment policies. The argument here is that the benefits of diversity can reach further than just the you know, top line performance. Um, what it's also impacting in a positive way are issues such as health and safety. Um, and also key facets of social, you know, pillar decisions in inclusive decision-making processes. Um, what we're seeing um, from a, an, a results perspective is that where you have a more diverse group of decision-makers, you're taking more into account in terms of the outcomes and the impact of the decisions being made. Min, how have you seen the ESG agenda make its way into business decision-making, specifically related to tax? Many organisations now require ESG and tax considerations to have been thoroughly considered before the investment committee will approve the investment proposal. And we've seen this throughout our um, discussions with our clients. Now, in relation to existing assets, companies are looking at ways that can reduce their carbon footprint. For example, looking at their supply chain. Uh, many of our institutional investors now are actively seeking ways to reduce their carbon footprint in one of three ways. One, divesting uh, their existing high carbon assets. Two, improving their operations at the portfolio assets. And three, actually acquiring uh, uh, green uh, assets to, I guess, um, balance their portfolio um, set of assets. So, so for most institutional investors, what they seek is long-term stable legal and regulatory frameworks. What they don't want is tax or ESG policies that chip and change 
as we have seen in some of the jurisdictions, which then significantly impacts their long-term valuation models. Of course, when, when they're looking at an infrastructure asset, they're modelling holding this asset long-term. And it, when we talk about long-term, it's not just 10 years. Some of these models go out for 40, 50, 60 years. So the most important thing for them in terms of ESG and tax is having a stable regime that allows them to model that through the life of the asset and then price it appropriately. Now, companies are also actively engaging with governments as to how tax policies impacting their investment decisions, including green assets. And we're beginning to see a lot more discussions and a lot more roundtables being had with government and private sector, institutional investors, around how governments can develop their tax policy that encourages institutional investment and also achieves the government's climate change objectives. And Min, how are you seeing tax leaders evolve their business models in, in response to the rise of the prominence of ESG agendas, specifically in the asset management tax sector? What changes have investors, asset managers and insurers been making to their practices? Well, from an asset management perspective, we are seeing an increase in ESG due diligence being undertaken by some of our clients um, and modelling uh, carbon taxes, as an example, into that model. Um, so from an asset manager perspective, they're looking at long-term assets and how climate change will impact that asset. We're also seeing a lot of work being done in terms of predicting what climate change will do to certain assets. So I'll give you an example. Um, where we've got poles and wires in terms of electricity generation and transmission assets across the east coast of Australia, what we are seeing is that our clients are modelling what climate change will do to that asset over the 50 years that they, they, they've got the asset for, which, for example, might mean increased um, erosion or degradation to that asset because of climate change, and therefore modelling in appropriate ways to manage that asset over the 50 years or so. and being able to predict when certain assets will need to be replaced and how much repair and maintenance is required uh, with that asset because of climate change. So certainly we are seeing uh, governments also request ESG um, considerations being built into the procurement process. Uh, so another example I'd give you is looking at PPPs um, in Australia and elsewhere around the world. As part of that procurement process, we are beginning to see governments uh, require, as part of the tender process, an ESG or a climate change policy uh, and considerations being uh, put into the tender documents in respect of projects that governments are putting out to tender. Um, speaking of governments, I should also note that in relation to the New Zealand government, they've recently required that climate change um, be reported by certain organisations. So it's the first country in the world to require the large financial sector to report on climate risk. Businesses covered by the requirements will have to now make annual disclosures covering government arrange governance arrangements risk management and strategies for mitigating any climate change impact. Now, those unable to disclose must explain why they can't do so. So I anticipate there will be more emphasis on financial reporting going forward for asset managers and also investors. Um, 
again, New Zealand Super has recently published their climate change policy for investment. I anticipate that over the next 12 months or so, you will see more investors and asset managers actually publishing their climate change policies and then implementing that as part of their practices. And many are you seeing financial institutions extending their influence to drive positive change? Uh, absolutely. Um, I don't think there's a day that goes by without me opening the newspaper and seeing a, an article on a sovereign wealth fund or a pension fund um, using their influence um, to have positive change. So we are certainly seeing that and sovereign wealth funds and pension funds are leading that discussion. Um, they are voting with their feet and some of them are pulling capital out of certain asset managers where they consider that the asset manager is not applying their funds in a way that is compatible to their policy, uh, whether that be on, on climate change or gender diversity. Um, so we are certainly seeing institutional investors um, exert their influence not only um, at um, their organisation, but also in respect to their portfolios. So the discussions we've had with many of them have suggested that they will vote with their feet and that they will use their voting power in respect of assets that they own to drive positive change at the portfolio asset level. Min, do you have any specific examples you could share with us of how tax has become or is becoming a key component of each element of ESG? Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll provide an example for each of them. Um, so in relation to environmental, um, what we've seen is that tax incentives, subsidies and other tax-related measures are being considered to help countries achieve their climate change objectives. These tend to encourage investors to take on more risk than that they would have otherwise been willing to as part of the government's uh, subsidy or tax incentive is effectively underwriting some of the cost of that investment, particularly in the early development phases. Um, as the asset is um, then constructed and it's operational, some of those incentives may fall away. Now, we're also seeing an increase in green financing uh, as entities look to transition to zero carbon um, projects or a zero carbon economy. So certainly there's been an increase in the different types of financing instruments uh, equity investors are looking at to fund their investment or expansion in um, their portfolios. Now, interestingly, the concern that has been expressed by some sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, is that such incentives may uh, be seen as, um, I guess, a tax avoidance by some civil um, organisations. So what they would really like to see and be keen on having is that there is transparency being um, made in relation to the tax incentives and it's tied in with the broader government economic goals. Um, they are concerned that in accepting such incentives, this may cause them to be viewed negatively in the context of not paying their fair share of tax as a responsible tax investor, which is the comment I made earlier in relation to civil uh, societies deeming that you, know, you need to look at the tax law above the uh, written words, but also applying it in a way that is fair. So there is, I guess, a dichotomy there as to if tax incentives are being put on the table, do you accept them? And if you do accept them, will you be accused of um, exploiting, I suppose, tax um, measures that would have otherwise not been available to you? 
In relation to social, as mentioned in the article, the OECD drive to create greater tax transparency with country-by-country -country reporting rules such as, um, and also anti-avoidance agendas, along with local measures from national tax authorities, all of these together have put the spotlight on tax as one of the moral issues of our time. Now, the effect of COVID-19 on economies around the world greatly heightens this issue as economies rebuild, tax contributions from corporates are critically important. We can expect there to be zero tolerance, I guess, from businesses that are seen to be avoiding tax and not paying their fair share of tax, um, and an increasing scrutiny by tax authorities around the world on the issue of tax havens. In respect of governance, well, from a governance perspective, Entities are becoming increasingly focused on having an appropriate tax risk management governance framework to ensure mature tax risks are elevated to the board for consideration and undertaking regular review of their tax risk registers and engaging with their advisors. Uh, we've also seen a huge increase in technology and innovation and investment in technology and innovation to assist with the management and governance of tax issues. Um, I No doubt the, the tax environment has become a lot more complicated than it was you know, 20, 30 years ago. And there's a lot more that organizations need to, to consider. So as we become more globalized and uh, the tax regimes from the different countries become more integrated, I think there's a lot more that entities are doing these days to look at their governance. And finally, Min, if you could leave tax leaders with one piece of advice with regards to ESG, what would it be? My advice is that as the world becomes more interconnected, discussions about who pays tax, how and when is likely to intensify. As institutional investors and corporates become increasingly transparent about their tax policies, making more information available in the public domain, investors need to ensure that tax governance is up to scratch, uh, particularly in relation to the companies that they've invested in. Like it or not, with the amount of global capital under the control of institutional investors, they will be exerting their influence in the SG debate um, to include issues such as gender diversity in their portfolio assets, transparency with respect to their supply chain and use of the natural capital. So if they're not already thinking about these issues, like I said, my advice is that it is going to be uh, much more um, focused by these institutional investors. That's great, Min. Thanks again for joining us today. It's been a really insightful conversation and you've given our listeners a lot to think about. Join us again next time and please email us with any questions or suggestions you have for future topics at tax at kpmg.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find more information and resources on this and other topics by visiting home.kpmg.com forward slash future of tax. Thanks for listening.